progression of thought is because as we really start to walk with Christ and we really start to see him and we really start to know him in a deeper way, we start to realize, boy, this thing, it's all about giving him glory. So we chose in these three weeks to look at, um, first off, who we were, what Christ became on the cross for us. That's what we looked at last week. Um, it was, uh, I know it was actually kind of a dark view because we looked, in order to really understand how big of a deal our sin was, we had to look at what Christ became on the cross and try to wrap our mind around that. And we don't, that, that gives us a deeper understanding of, of our sin. When we look at, at what Christ had to go through, it means he had to become that for us. But this week we're looking at who we are now in the exalted Christ, and next week we'll look at who he is making us to be. Last week we went through um, this section. We looked at Christ becoming sin for us and how we, we look to him in that way. And in all three of these things, in order to give him glory, we look to Christ. Um, but we ended with this verse 4, the, the first two words, which are the best words that we can come across as we look at this text, but God. We come to that and we see um, this, this change in thought and this change in process of what God is doing. And um, if we look there at chapter 2, verses 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. That is the, the tipping point, the change in this whole thing. Yeah, why don't you progress? I think you got to click in the middle of the slide, Carol. That's probably what's going on. Carolyn. There we go, yeah. You guys have Bibles. It's probably better for you to read it in the Bible than on the screen anyways. Um, in the midst of this great darkness, and just like we read over in Romans chapter 5 today, Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies with him. He, he came and he took this wrath that we deserve. We just sang about that um, in these songs that we sang. It's kind of an interesting thing in our culture, um, this idea of, uh, of wrath, and that uh, especially in America, the church is, is more and more getting to a point they don't want to talk about God's wrath. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around. Almost six years ago, the song that we've been singing um, for now almost 20 years, if you can believe it, in Christ Alone, it was written in 2000 by Keith Getty and Stuart Townen. About six years ago, it got um, national attention in a lot of news articles, like USA Today, um, New York Times, they all ran this article. Song got a whole, whole bunch of flack because the United Presbyterian Church Committee wanted to add the, new, the song to their new hymnal, which was called Glory to God. And in doing so, um, they requested permission from the writers, Stuart Townend and Keith Getty, to print an altered version of the hymn's lyrics. They wanted to change the lyrics that say, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied to instead read, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Um, another church had actually already made that change and printed hymnals without permission. And so the Presbyterian church said, oh, we just thought it was okay. Can we do that? Keith and Stuart both um, rejected it and said, no, you can't. You can't change it. And as a result, the Presbyterian church didn't print it and said that they would remove it. Um, and they were sad about that because they didn't think, they said the view that the cross is primarily about God's need to assuage anger 
is going to have a negative effect on the hymnal's ability to form the faith of coming generations. When asked about this, Keith responded, we believe altering the lyrics would remove an essential part of the gospel story as explained throughout scripture. The main thread of what we see revealed throughout the Old and New Testament is the need for man to be made right with God. The provided path to reconciliation came through Christ's predetermined and perfect sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's wrath once and for all. The two hymnal committees want to change the lyrics to focus on how, God's, how Christ's death on the cross magnifies God's love for the world. And indeed, God's love was magnified on Calvary's hill. Yet the way this occurred was through Christ doing for, what, for us what we could not do for ourselves, shedding his own perfect blood to atone for our sins. We wanted to explore the scope of the gospel message in one song. As people in the pew sing, in Christ alone, we pray they understand the many attributes of God, his sovereign power, his grace, love, justice, and wrath, all intertwined. We shouldn't turn away from exploring his wrath because through understanding God's righteous anger towards sin, we understand his desire for justice and peace. And later he says, I'm not going to read everything here, I'm kind of skimming, but he says, I believe this view stems from an inadequate understanding of how God's wrath differs from our own. Each of us faces the temptation to fashion God out of our own image. And a picture of God formed through our own experiences of hurt, anger, injustice, or rage is a sad and vindictive one indeed, but it is not the infinite good God we serve. God's wrath is not like our wrath, and his ways are not our own. Throughout scripture, we, the need for atonement is made, to be made is likened to a cup of wrath the sinner must consume. And as we know, Jesus drank this cup for us. The cross was a remedy, providing a way for each of us to be saved. It's really hard for us to wrap our, our mind around this idea that we have a God that can hold both wrath and kindness simultaneously in his hand. That he can be both wrathful against sin. And in the, this passage, we look that he looked back at us that by our nature, we were children of wrath. So he looked at us in that way. And if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, he looks at you that way. That's the truth. But he also, at the same time, in a way we can't understand, looks at you with mercy, with kindness. And only God can be that. As humans, we can't do that. We can't hold those two things. But God has to be the definition of perfect justice and perfect mercy at the same time. And so he holds both of these things in his hand. Now, the Son, as we looked at, as we look at Christ, the Son is the physical man manifestation of the Father. He said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So last week, like we looked at, Christ became sin, and he became the manifestation of God's wrath on the cross. And when we look back, that's what we see. But we also see that he was the manifestation of God's love and mercy and grace. Even though God held both of these things in his hand, he chose to elevate kindness and mercy at this time because, what does the Bible say? He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish and wanting all to come to repentance. So God allowed mercy to triumph over judgment. We read that in James 4.12. God alone is the only one who is able to save and destroy, James also tells us. So he has to hold both these things. And we have to come to God and see that and be in wonder of that. 
the fact that he, he has to look at sin with wrath. Because if he didn't, it wouldn't be sin at all. It would, and he wouldn't have love. There would be nothing to forgive if there wasn't a perfect justice against it. But praise God, that was poured out on Christ. So we look back at him. We look and we see God's wrath poured out on Christ on our behalf. And if you come to Christ, and I beg of you if you have not yet come to Christ, just come. Come like you are. Place yourself, identify with that cross, say, I, I go to the cross with you. That is, that is the whole gospel message, is Jesus, you took me to the cross, I believe it. Raise me with you. That is the gospel message. And when you come to that, and when we have, um, we become something new. We become identified with Christ in his resurrection and in his new life. So as we turn and we look and we turn our eyes to Christ and who he is now, we see that God accepted his offering of sin, raised him to life, and seated him in the heavenly places, far above any power or authority or government or rule. That's chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. That is where Christ is. And why is that important? Because we are seated in him. Where Christ is, we are. If you trust in Christ, you went to the grave with him, you were raised to that place with him. Verse 7 tells us in chapter 2, and I'm going to jump all over in chapter 2. I'm not necessarily going to follow a, a progression necessarily today, so um, just warn you there. But verse 7 says that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's demonstrating this kindness, this riches of his grace towards us because we are in Christ Jesus. It's like he gives them to Christ. He gives Christ his honor and we receive the benefit of that. We have what Christ has by virtue of our union with him. Um, you don't have to turn there now, but if your Bible still was open to uh, kind of where Luke was at in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 and 6 are very complementary to this, and Paul hits many of the same themes. But in verse um, Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. All of this stuff deals with uh, identity. And I think... Um, I think identity is something that we all struggle with. Who we are, where we're going, um, what's our purpose? Uh, did, am, I, am I on the right career path? Um, did I marry the right person? Um, you know, whatever it is, questions that you have or questions about your future, the, these are common to every one of us. And it's very common in our culture to talk about identity too. Um, I could stand up here and I could tell you a bunch of biblical answers to those things about who you are. You can pick up a dozen books at Walmart on the shelf that tell you great answers, that are good devotionals, that say you are these things. They'll, they'll go through and they'll tell you things you know, such as um, you're chosen, you're a child of God, you're loved, you're blessed, you're forgiven, you're... Um, you're not a slave to sin. There's nothing that on earth that can stand against you. These are all things that, they're true. That's great. It's really good. But listen, if I just stand up here and tell you that, or if your devotional just tells you that, 
or if the preacher or, or your Bible study leader just tells you that, or Caleb just tells you that, and you don't have a root to go back to, you're, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to forget it, which is probably the most likely, or B, you're going to say, man, that preacher really made me feel good. I got to go back next week. And that, as good as that sounds, I'm failing if that happens. That's not the mark of a good church. That's not a mark of a good devotional. You can see all of these things as you fix your eyes on Christ. For instance, you're chosen because you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't just tell you you're chosen. Look at Christ. And you see that you are chosen. You're a child of God. Why? Because Christ is the Son of God, and you are in him. So you're adopted. You're a son of God. You look at Christ, and you find your identity. You're loved. Why? Because in chapter 1, verse 6, you're in the beloved. If God loves the Son, and you're in the Son, you are loved. It's not just Derek saying it. It's not just the preacher. It's not just Caleb anymore. You can see, as I look at Christ, I see that the Father's love is demonstrated in him, and I am in that. And now I know that I'm loved. You're forgiven because the penalty for your sin was taken to the grave with Christ. This is all just in Ephesians so far. Chapter 1, verse 7 says that. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our sins. You aren't a slave to sin because Christ is risen and is no longer bound to the flesh. Now, Christ didn't sin on earth, we know, but the Bible in a couple places makes it clear. Um, again, over in that Romans 6, he says, 6 verse 10, for death, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's you if you're in Christ. Your identity is the same. You died to sin. Don't walk in it anymore. Nothing on earth can stand against you. Why? Because you're seated in Christ, who is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Do you see how this works? As we focus our eyes on Christ, we find our identity. You don't need someone just to, to tell you on an external level what you are to make you feel good, because that feeling will wear off. But the more that you look at Christ and you exalt Christ and you, you lift him up and you say, wow, you are beloved by the Father. You are blessed by the Father. You conquered death. You can kind of add right after there, oh man, and I'm with you. That's me. Awesome. I, I, I actually, I'm probably going to offend some of you now. Um, at one point, I, I wrote a letter to Caleb. They probably never got it. But it, I stopped listening to them because they were positive and encouraging Caleb. And, um, and so much of the music, some of it was good. But what, what I found was a lot of these songs, they tell you all this stuff. You're loved, you're forgiven, these things. And they go through your head. And, and what I would find myself doing was when I wanted to be reminded that I was forgiven or loved or um, not a slave to sin, I'd want to sing that song. That's a problem. It's, it's a problem because I'm, I'm not really, like, I'm worshiping a concept. I'm worshiping a gift of God instead of God himself. And the song, I started finding the songs that lifted my heart the most were the ones that were about him, it turns out. And, and it's because we were made to praise him. 
And as you praise him, and as your heart unites in this, and as it's, it's, you get excited about who he is, then your heart is lifted with him, and you elevate with him, and, and you, you love to praise him because you are with him in the heavenlies. It focuses your eyes on Christ. I'm sorry, I probably ruined Caleb for you guys. Um, I hope not. Um, there is so much good stuff on there. Frankly, also, I, I got a Google Play subscription. That's probably actually why I stopped listening to Caleb. But um, still, you know, I think in anything, there's so much literature, so much music that we can listen to today. And I would encourage you, just, just as, as a shepherd here at Oak Grove, to, to, to be wise in the stuff that, that you listen to and, and it's good. It's not that it's bad. It's not bad to listen to those songs. You guys have favorite songs going through your head right now. I know you have favorite devotionals that you read. But you need to make sure that you can trace the source back to Scripture. That you don't have to go to that devotional or that song or that speaker to get filled up. That you know where the source came from. As we look at this and we look at the fact that this mind-blowing concept that we are in Christ, not just forgiven, not just your slate's clean, live your own life, uh, I'll see you in heaven. It's, no, you are in me. This, friends, this is amazing grace. Here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, we have one of the most famous verses on grace that we're, we're all familiar with. But if you go back, and I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God's showing off, and that's okay. He's showing off. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. In other words, it's all about him. It's all about him. He gets all the glory. And that's, that's how it should be. And as you glorify him, as you look to him, as you get excited about this, your heart lifts with that. You find your identity in him. I had thought about going over into Romans chapter 5 and 6 um, today, but in the interest of time um, and in the interest of giving you guys something to do for your devotions this week in case you didn't have anything, I just encourage you to look at that. Romans chapter 5 and 6, Paul also wrote that, and he's carrying on um, a very similar theme, and you see a lot, they're complementary passages. If I go over there right now, I'll probably start preaching Romans, and Paul had a whole different intent of what he was doing with Romans. Even though some of the language is similar, he had a different direction. Um, so Luke, thank you for reading that. Um, it's, it's very good and stuff, but I don't think I'm going to preach out of it. I'm just going to skip that part of the notes because I'll rabbit trail. But it's so good. So dive into that this week. It'll, it'll help you as you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and as we look at where we're going and with all these concepts. Um, the ultimate goal that I hope that you guys can see out of this passage, and really, frankly, all passages, um, which God has just really been reminding me, and Leah, we've both been kind of going through this journey, The ultimate goal is to glorify God. And I'm trying to think of like a more flowery way to say that, but it's just that simple. God, um, John Piper's ministry is, uh, if you go to anything desiring God, you know, on the bottom of the website or books or anything, he has this tagline. It's kind of like a sub 
to Desiring God ministry. It says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you worried about your identity, about where you are, about whether you are glorifying God with your life, if you're on the right path, if you've taken the right choice, if you're going in the right direction? Let me make it simple in a way that seems abstract right now, maybe. Do you enjoy God? It really is that simple. Do you enjoy him? They seem like they're disconnected, but in fact, the most powerful way that you can glorify God, I will be that bold to say it, the most dynamic way you can glorify God is not by your lifestyle, it's not by the words you choose to say or not say, it's not your witness, it's whether you enjoy God. First and foremost, everything else flows out of that. The life you live, the words you say, your reputation, it all flows afterwards. Do you enjoy him? Do you see him? Do I see him? This is what I've been praying all through this series and, and, and really for this last year is, do I see him? Help me to see you, God, as I look at these verses. Let me not rush through them. Let me see who you are. And as, as my eyes start to open up and see, it's, wow, this is, this is just unfathomable. And yet that's the exact language Paul uses here. Look at immeasurable greatness of his power. Verse 19 of chapter 1, and here we see immeasurable riches. I'm reading from the ESV. Your versions might say something different. But verse 7, immeasurable riches of his grace. Immeasurable. It means there's no calculable way to talk about this God. Jonathan Edwards says, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. It's not just enough to see God in here. Enjoy him. Delight in him. That's why the Bible is given to us. That's the excitement of it. His glory is then received, Edwards goes on uh, to say, his glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and the heart. God wants not just our mind to see truths about him, concepts about him, things that are really cool to see. He wants our heart to love him and to be united to him in that. So when we look at this and we look at this passage and we see God's grace and how we were in such a dark place and Christ stepped in, became that dark place for us and God's riches were poured out upon us, do you see him? I mean, the ultimate just one hating sin, wrathful because it destroys his good design, it destroys us, and so of course he hates it. Do you see him? And, and you see him more merciful, choosing to, to offer us mercy when we deserve judgment. Though he held both in his hands, he decided to offer mercy over judgment at this time. We see him as great in love in these verses. He's a dispenser of immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. He's a giver of undeserved, unearned gifts. And he gives us purpose and identity and adoption and position and authority and peace. Do you see him? I mean, doesn't that excite you? 
it, it, it gets me really, as you can see, really excited. I just, Levi uh, did the artwork for today. And if you want to look in your bulletin, I told him, illustrate the riches of God's grace. And we started this whole today um, looking at the aspect of those that are rich on earth. But really just think about this God who is rich. And he's not rich in dollars. Though he could if he wanted. That currency has no effect on him. We are told he is rich in grace and kindness towards us. He didn't just pour out $153 billion worth of grace and kindness to us either. He poured out immeasurable riches. So again, if you're wondering how much your salvation cost, if you're wondering how, how costly that grace was, if you're wondering what Christ went through on the cross for you, consider this, it was immeasurable. And that is the riches that we have in him. So this view of God, I hope it can excite us, it can thrill our hearts, it can cause us to fall deeper in love with him. And I hope that as you guys come here to Oak Grove, um, when you're sitting here in the pew, that, that you, you can trace the source. That you're, not, you're not just taking it because I say it, or because anyone that stands up here says it. <clears throat> Some of you guys have favorite speakers you listen to online and things like that, and books you read, that's fine too. Don't just take it because they say it. You've got to find it in here. If you can't walk out of here and find the same excitement and joy, then we're failing. We are. As a church, we're failing you. And as teachers, a lot of times I realize this hasn't been, I'll speak for myself, this hasn't always been the focus to point your eyes back to Christ, but I'm committed to do that. Sometimes we get so excited about the do's and what we should be doing and stuff, and we're going to talk about that. We are. Ephesians talks about it. But just see him. Just, just bask in his glory a bit. This afternoon, if you have a half hour, just sit in this. Read this. Read the whole book if you want. Read chapter 5 and 6 of Romans. Um, just, just soak in who he is. But to close, it doesn't end there. And this is, I guess, a little teaser for next week. We have, in chapter 2, in, this, in these first 10 verses, we have two instances of a word, at least in my translation, walk. I think I even have a slide. Oh, yeah. Those would have been great. <laughs> we have two instances of this. And actually, all throughout Ephesians, this word walking uh, comes up. And Paul seemed to love that. He sometimes talked about running, um, but usually it was walking. Walk, 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 which is good for most of us because running is out of the option or out of the question or maybe we just don't want to. Um, Leah's still working on this. But here in chapter two, we see two instances and I want to contrast you, them for you. We see um, that we used to walk following the course of this world. Chapter two, verse two. That was right at the start. That was when, that was who we were. But now we're talking about where we're going to walk. And this is going to be, verse 10, walking in good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. The next time that you're going to come up to an instance of this word walk in Ephesians is chapter 4, verse 1. And there Paul is going to encourage you, using almost the same language as in Colossians 1.10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the mean? Lord, it doesn't mean that we're earning grace. We already went over that. This is not something we earn. This is not something that we walk so as to be worthy of the Lord. Okay? Just get that out. Make sure that none of you get distracted. None of us get down on that path of we're trying to earn God's grace. No. Grace, we just saw, verse 8 and 9, not a result of works. Okay. It does mean that you fear God enough to let go of everything else and you walk in these good works that he has for you. So he calls you. He says, come, look at me. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you the incredible, immeasurable greatness of my power that I demonstrated, not in just Christ, but in raising you with him. Now that you know who you are, I've got some work for you. In fact, I prepared it beforehand, and I can't wait for you to start on it. Now, many of you um, have been walking in those for many years. I'm, I, I know that. And you, you've, we've seen that. And we glorify God as we see those works demonstrated. But we all have walk ahead of us, no matter where we are. As long as we have breath, we have some steps ahead of us. So I would encourage you, as we look, to, to also ask, as, as you spend that time with the Lord this week, and as you look at him, let that be the final question. Don't let it be the first thing in your prayer. Look at him. Behold him. Love him. Just get excited about who he is and how he's revealed here. And then say, all right, so where are we going? What do you got for me? Some of us are going to walk through some dark valleys. Some of us are going to have some trials. Some of you are in the middle of them now. Some of you have some in your past. And some of you will walk in that for the rest of your life. And some of you will walk in victory and joy and maybe even from a human perspective, exaltation. But in everything, in everything we do, let it glorify him. Every minute, every day, the, the good works that God has prepared for you they may not look like what you thought they would, but they're all there to glorify him, even when you don't see it. I have to believe that. I do believe that fully. Because God is the sovereign one that is working all things together for not just our good, but for his, and we get to be part of that. Let's fix our eyes on him. Now, next week, um, we're going to do the last part here, we're going to go verses 11 through 22, and um, we're going to see where this walking takes us. What is it? What happens? What is God doing? He didn't just want to save us. He had another plan. He wants to build something. He wants to build this church. He wants to build this temple, and we're going to look at that. This week, we looked a little bit at our individual identity in Christ, who you are specifically, but next week, we get to look at who our corporate identity is. As a group, as a body, as a bride, what are we? So um, I hope that you guys can all be in this and meditating on this scripture this week too. Um, I'm going to close out in prayer now. God, we do just glorify you. We look to Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the, the one um, God exalted with you, and we're there. It's, we're there with him. And I, I just thank you for that. Our name is written on his hands, graven on his heart. What a concept. Awaken our hearts to see that, to see you in a deeper and 
uh, just more exciting way that, um, that never ends, that only goes deeper and, and further with you. We love you, and we look forward to your appearing. In your name we pray. Amen.